0: we continue in our study in the book of Proverbs, the title of our series is called Proverbs, God's Rescue Plan. And we have watched and we have learned and we have taken to heart much about the wisdom of God which begins in fearing the Lord according to the thesis in the first chapter of Proverbs 1-7. Last week, if you missed out on our opportunity to meet together around the Word, we encourage you to Check out our podcast, our website for a sermon last week that was quite wordy on words. It was almost, I think, an hour long. But uh was a great study, I think, on understanding um, just how careful we ought to be with words since God is the one who made words. God is the one who authored the word. God is the one who desires that through the word we would live. Well, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs and we'll be in many places in Proverbs, but the key passage this morning is Proverbs 4:23. And Proverbs 4:23 will be our launching pad and this morning the topic of the book of Proverbs that we'll be looking at is that of the heart and mind. The title of the message is whoever rules the heart rules the mind, and I'd like to admit to you from the beginning that that I'm learning, and I, I, I'm still at a beginner, a beginner's understanding of the relationship between the heart and the mind. Where do the two divide out? What is what is the difference? And perhaps there will be some clarity from the Word of God this morning. That's my desire, is to bring some clarity from the Word of God uh, regarding um, the heart and mind of the believer. And each of us have what I believe is a heart and mind that is meant to be, meant to be transformed by the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, Lord willing, if he tarries and we'll be together, uh, we look at, we will be looking at emotions in the book of Proverbs. Emotions. What sort of emotions? Perhaps sorrow, maybe anger, maybe gladness and joy. Look at what God's desire is for us as we, As we emote and as we express ourselves, what is God's desire for the emotions and how does He, His Word, shape our emotions? In Proverbs 4.23, the writer Solomon says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Would you pray together with me this morning? Oh the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. We have found him to be great. He has awesome power and might and all wisdom. But he is good. He has given us love, compassion. He has given us healing and comfort and guidance. He has given us his presence in the imminence. This being. Father, this morning may we understand, grow, and trust in your heart. You know our hearts, they're so easily strained, they're unrestrained. Oh, Father, from your heart to ours, teach us truth. Change us, Lord, we agonize to know our unfaithfulness and our unbelief. Change us Lord your hope our hope is in your word, so we submit and surrender this moment to hear what you have to say in Jesus name. amen. by the time that we come to proverbs four twenty three we have come to realize very clearly that the writer of Proverbs is speaking to the heart of man. The scriptures progressively reveal to us an understanding of the heart of man from from really from Genesis to Proverbs, if you will. And we learn from the Bible that the that the heart is like the control center, the, the command center of our life. Much like our physical heart is at the core of our health, so to our inner man, our heart It's the control center for our living. And since the heart is such a vital part of our life, Solomon warns us to protect it at all costs. When we look at the verb of keep your heart with all diligence, it reminds me of the noun use of the word keep that we find especially used in medieval times. A keep, it is a noun form, is a strong Central tower that is used as sort of a dungeon or a fortress within a castle within a kingdom. Often the keep is the most defended or well defended part of the castle, and as such, many form um, uh, many people would center their lives upon that keep. But even the national treasure would be kept in the keep. It would contain certain parts of the welfare of the, of the kingdom or the castle, such as its armory, its food, or, or even its main water well, which would ensure its survival if the kingdom or the castle would ever be besieged from the outer walls. An earlier word for a keep is still used for some medieval monuments in France. It's called a donjon or a dungeon. Your heart is the most precious possession that you have. And so Solomon says, if we could say it in this way, then put your heart in the keep. Put your heart in the keep. And perhaps there's a tendency in our lives to have our heart way outside where the walls are. Maybe even outside the walls themselves. The Solomon says, Son, at the very center of your being, in order for a successful living, then put your heart in the keep. Because you only have one. So keep it. You must guard it carefully. You must protect it fearlessly. You must give it attention cautiously. You must share it skillfully and cultivate it righteously and purely in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 27.19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. You are what your heart is. And whatever you control, whether, and whether you control your heart or you allow God to control your heart will make a lifetime of difference. And that is because, first of all, the heart is impressionable. The heart is impressionable. Listen to other Proverbs as they, as they describe the heart. Proverbs 3.3 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind mercy and truth, around your neck, and write mercy and truth on the tablets of your heart. Write them on your heart, mercy and truth. Inscribe them, engrave them on your heart, mercy and truth. Proverbs 4.4 4. He also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Like a container would contain words. Let your heart retain my words. Store them up. Store up my wisdom, son. In Proverbs 6.21, the Solomon says again, bind them continually upon your heart and tie them around your neck. Bind them to your heart. Bind my instructions. Bind the law of God. Bind the Word of God to your heart. Tie it there so it cannot be that it cannot be let loose. Constrain your heart by the Word of God. That's certainly a message that is an antithesis to the world's mantra today. But we find freedom in the binding of the Word of God to our hearts. Proverbs 7, three, Bind these instructions on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Over and over, Solomon says to his son, Write my wisdom, write the word of God upon your heart. Engrave it there. We learn that we are always writing on our heart. You're always writing on your heart. The heart conforms to whatever is impressed upon it. The second truth that we recognize from the teacher in Proverbs is that the heart is if you will, the, the motor for our life. Words like apply, devise, make, do, study, teach, fear, get, remind us that this heart is active, it's, it's working, it's, it's, uh, it's performing. Proverbs 6.18 says, A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil. Proverbs 7.25 says, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. You see, the heart's a motor. It's working. It's an engine. Proverbs 14.10, The heart knows its own bitterness, but the heart of the fool does not do so. I'm sorry, that was another passage. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. Proverbs 15, 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fools does not do so. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A merry heart makes uh, marks a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The next verse in Proverbs 15, verse 14 says, The heart of him that has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Proverbs 15:28 says the heart of the righteous studies how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Proverbs 16:9 says a man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. Even now your heart is deciding what to do with what you're hearing from God's word. Your mind is listening to the logic and argumentation, maybe even the tone of voice, the word order in which it's being expressed, but your heart right now is deciding what to do with the Word of God, how to interact with the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 16.23 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Proverbs 18.15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge. It acquires knowledge. The heart acquires knowledge. And the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And Proverbs 24.2 says, For their heart devises violence and their lips talk of troublemaking. Your heart is always running. Your heart is what drives you into action. Your heart is always busy. But we also learn in Scripture that we have a mind. And we come to believe that what the Bible teaches about the mind isn't necessarily talking about our our physical brains. We recognize that there's something far deeper and far more inward that is being spoken by the Word when we hear of the mind of man throughout the Word and God's teaching of our minds. Much Much like this, Paul says in Philippians 2 that we are to have the mind of Christ we intuitively perceive that there is more than the physical organ being described here. And so Proverbs writes on the mind in Proverbs 12.8, A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of a twisted mind is despised. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So if the heart is the control center for our living, then the mind is what I'd like to picture for us this morning is, is the bridge. It's sort of a, a two-way bridge of the heart. It's, it's where the transactions happen to and from the heart is the mind. The mind informs the heart and the heart directs the mind. And there's a lot to be learned on this topic of the relationship of the mind and the heart of the inner man that is worthy of much more study and consideration than what we could handle this morning. But I think that we can narrow down the truth of the Word of God in one way. And this is our central passage this morning, our central truth that we're going to be looking at. I believe that we can narrow down at least in one way an understanding of our faith in God and our fear of the Lord that it is both intellectual and it is affectional. That is, let me say that again, we can narrow down, and I want to narrow down for us at least one element of the relationship between the mind and heart this morning, as it relates to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in at least two truths, and that is that our fear of the Lord involves both an intellectual and an affectional nature Of our minds and our hearts, not just one of these. Like we can pick one instead of the other, but both inherently involved with each other, intellectual and affectional. So I'd like for you to turn with me to First Peter, in chapter one, and we're going to remain in Peter here. And I believe that that Peter brings a lot of heart and a lot of mind, uh, a lot of passion to his book here as he, if you will, breaks the silence of his teaching into inspired scripture, or we would say the spirit breaks the silence in Peter until he writes this book uh, inscribed for us in the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is is encouraging a church that is very discouraged and confused. A people who have scattered from Rome from persecution and have gone to at least five different regions in the Middle East. These people have, have, be, have had to grow accustomed to new communities, new ethnicities, new cultures, new ways of living. They've also, as believers, had to try to figure out a way where they could encourage one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ as they give of themselves to the apostles' teaching. And Peter is mindful and has great compassion towards them, inspired by the Spirit. And he writes this first letter to at least five of these churches that have gone out from, from Rome. And he wants them to, to really anchor their minds and anchor their hearts on a, a core truth about their being and about their identity. But he also in the meantime explains how they think and how their, minds are to, how their hearts are to be. And in doing so in this first chapter, sort of the prologue in his book, he he expounds upon the nature of salvation, the nature of grace that has been given to believers through Jesus Christ. Even towards the end of this chapter, really just brings the crescendo of his teaching to an explanation and a description of heaven itself by the side of God that is reserved for that one who is hidden in Jesus Christ. And follow along with me in verses six until verse sixteen, and let's learn and see how Peter brings about a, uh, a relationship between the mind and heart in the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ. In First Peter chapter one verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels longed to look. Therefore, therefore, since you have received this faithful message of those who served you by recording the prophecy of the one to come, And then in recent time, the good news that has been preached to you, therefore, prepare your mind for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. How do we obey the biblical command given in verse 13 to set our hope fully on the grace? How do we obey the biblical command to feel How do we obey the command to hope fully on the grace of God? That, I would submit to you, is a feeling. It's a command to feel something. As a matter of fact, there's, from from one um, author's um, survey, there's 20 different emotions that are actually commanded for us to experience in Scripture. 20 different emotions that God commands us to experience in Scripture. How do we obey commands to feel? How do we get there? Peter says, part of the answer lies in verse number 13, prepare your mind for action. Be sober. The mind is given for the sake of the heart it is given to serve your emotions emotions if you will are the the color of life but the mind is is for the girding up he says in in some translations says gird up the loins of your mind you probably remember that if you read the king james it's like a runner and as he has as he has clothing on, he, he girds up his clothing, he holds onto it, or tucks it into his belt so that there's nothing dragging on the on the ground slowing him down or that even would cause him to fall and stumble and, and hurt himself. The ESV says, to prepare your mind. And I would even say the, that preparation would, would mean the, the putting in order of. And so the mind is is for girding up. Put, put your mind in the right order, and sober up. Become serious about that which has been delivered to you, so that you can hope, he says. Again, we're going to be looking over and over at verse 13. Prepare your mind, put things in order, so that there can be action. Being, remaining, serious-minded, then set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The mind is for the preparing and the sobering so that you can hope. Hope is a matter of the mind and the heart. The heart cannot feel what the mind does not know. What is the mind supposed to do here? Again, it is to be girded up, nothing hanging, nothing dragging, no lies. Not believing in any lies. We're not believing in any falsehoods. We're not being negligent. We're not. We're not um, being being disobedient or being being careless about living out our lives, about our untamed thoughts. There's no baggage. And then he says, "Be sober." Be dead set on things that are true. You think about what it's like to be under the influence of something, whether it be medication or whether it be, you know, some sort of um, maybe alcohol or anything that that might inhibit the faculties of the mind. And what what begins to happen is, is that we 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 begin to think things that aren't true are true. We begin to to see things and experience things and feel things that just really truly aren't true, they aren't real. So then the opposite of that then would be to be sober, to set our minds on things that are true. And so we are to set our things that are true. We are to conform our mind to thinking or dwelling on things that are true. And so we are to be filled, as prepared, putting things in order and formed by things that are true. Not wasting time And thought on things that are unrighteous or not necessary or that are foolish. But notice that he explains this a little more about uh, uh, where the heart, where the passions in the mind might go. In verse 14, so obeying the command to put our mind in order and to be serious minded. He says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, as you look at this verse, where do we find heart and where do we find mind? Do not be conformed to the passions. Passions is the heart, the seat of our affections. And the former ignorance. It's not that our hearts didn't know, it's that our minds didn't know something. You see, formerly, he says, there was a former ignorance. Before the hope of Christ came and transformed our lives, there was a a former ignorance. Formerly, our minds were were not girded up. They were not set in order. They were not prepared for action. Nor were our minds sober. They were not dwelling on things that are true. They were not dwelling on the truth, Jesus Christ. Why? Why were our minds not prepared and not sober? Because they were ignorant. They were ignorant. Our heart was wicked. It was rebellious. It was altogether sinful. So our minds mirrored our hearts. Our minds were ignorant of the truth, and so they conformed to the passions of the wickedness from the heart. And so Peter says, don't be conformed to the passions that were informed by your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to the passions that were informed by your former ignorance. But he says, this is not how you are to be as a believer. God has put a new heart in you and a new hope before you. Your passions have been changed And so now, because your passions have been changed, you have a new knowledge, you have a a new hope, a new way of thinking, a prepared way, a, a girded up way. You have a sober way of thinking because your passions have changed. And so he says again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who has called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. You see, ignorance produces old passions, old conduct. Knowledge, which is the opposite of ignorance, produces new passions and new conduct. It is the knowledge of the Gospel, Peter says, that has changed our heart that would produce new passions, a, a new behavior. He calls it a, a holy behavior, a, a new way of living, a, a new conduct. And so he says to these, he says, you can see where you're former passions came from, they came from ignorance, but now you're no longer ignorant because now you have the truth of Jesus Christ. You have the revelation of God. So put your mind, set your mind, put things in order in your mind at that which has banished ignorance, it's replaced ignorance, and it's become the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so false things about God The world, death, sin, all kinds of false things that were dragging on the ground in your former ignorance. They have all been replaced. So he says, live like this. Live like this. The prophets were faithful to deliver to you a faithful testimony, a faithful record of Jesus Christ. Your heart has been transformed. You have the readiness, you have the newness of mind and heart to receive the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to have a a new passion. So obey yourself. Give yourself unto rejecting the passions that you formerly served in the ignorance of your mind. Fill your mind with what is true about Jesus Christ. If you have ignorance, then how can you have hearts with godly passions? The ignorance needs to be replaced because there's something great at the stake here if you do not replace ignorance with knowledge. What is at stake? Hope. Hope is at stake. Hope. Can you say, can you say that the ruling influence of your mind is? the person and things of Jesus Christ? In what ways might you say that your mind is ignorant? In what ways are you teasing your ignorance or or dwelling or excusing your ignorance? In what ways are you perpetuating your utter ignorance? Often ways can look like a closed Bible or even deaf ears or preoccupied mind with things that are not true or refusal to come together in a gathering where truth is proclaimed and Christ is exalted these are typical ways in which we actually perpetuate and feed into ignorance that was of our former unredeemed self the ignorance is bad those things are really bad but the ignorance leads to a real problem The ignorance isn't just an intellect problem. The ignorance indicates a former passion problem. The former passions are passions that were unrestrained, that were trespassing in nature, that was sinful, fleshly, unsubmitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and unregenerate. You say, I'm okay without learning more about God, I'm sufficient, I'm content with the knowledge I have. We would say to you from this passage, and Peter urges the believers in this way, do not remain in your ignorance in knowing God and Jesus Christ for yourself. Press on to to put your thoughts in order so that your passions are not like the former passions because where your mind goes, your heart follows. Passions are what we desire. Passions are what we're aiming for. It's what we're hoping for. It's what we're driving towards. And he never uses the word new passions here. But I believe that the opposite of the old passions is the word hope. So looking back again at verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action, putting putting what's true in order in your mind, being serious about things if they're true, set your, could we say, your new passions fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, hope is the opposite of the old passions. In this context of the anxiety that seems to plague our lives so often, in the context of having unbridled thoughts, in the context of having a mind that is running away with old passions, In the context of this, Peter says, Knowledge awakens hope. Knowledge awakens hope in the heart, which conforms us to holiness, new actions. So rein in these thoughts, submit them unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Plunge them into the grace that has been revealed to you faithfully by the Spirit of Christ through the Word of God and the faithful person, Jesus Christ. Plunge these minds. If you will, baptize your thoughts into the grace that has been revealed to you. There's no need to have a runaway mind, he says. And a runaway mind is a problem in itself But the real desperate problem of the uncontrolled mind is that it leads you inevitably back to your former passions that are hopeless. And so by putting truth and putting it in order in our mind and not just knowledge truth, but experiential truth of the one person, Jesus Christ, sets us up for hope. And so this new knowledge shapes the heart leading to holy actions. You see, a Godward heart is a, is a godly heart. A Godward heart is, is a godly heart. There's all kinds of hearts. There's all kinds of ways in which the heart can be. It, it can be foolish. It can be wise. It can be joyful. It can be grieving. It can be evil. It can be righteous. It could be peaceful, it could be understanding. According to Proverbs, it can be just or it can be fearful, it can be arrogant, our hearts can be greedy, it can be angry, and so many other things Proverbs describes. But a Godward heart is a godly heart. And God writes to us in the book of Proverbs in particular that His desire is for a lasting, indelible change that happens deeply inside of us. God writes to us through the pen of Solomon a rescue plan that doesn't uh, begin with our outward conformity. Just do the right things until your heart gets there. God's rescue plan begins in the very core of our being, in the control center, where the keep is. God's rescue plan for you and I to not be angry, to not be anxious, to not be envious and greedy, to not be slanderous or mocking god's rescue plan for our hearts starts with our heart. The heart is the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart must receive the knowledge of hope, the work of hope in the mind, so as to work out its redeemed passions. Our greatest problem doesn't exist outside of us. if only the boss would understand me. If only things would go a little bit better in my material world and the possessions that I'm maintaining. If only my body would cooperate with the, the treatment that it's receiving and the medicine that, I, that it could have. If, if only these things, then, then God, then my heart will be new unto you. Then my heart will surrender unto you. Our greatest problem doesn't exist outside of us, but inside. God writes through Ezekiel in eleven nineteen, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And Proverbs keeps saying It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. Proverbs fifty one ten The Psalmist pleads with the Lord. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Solomon says, guard it. Guard your heart. Guard your mind and your heart. Pull up the garments. Don't let things drag. Don't let thoughts tease you. They lead to former passions. Be serious about what is true about Jesus Christ and be serious about what it is to be hidden in Him. Make your mind sober because in your heart and in your mind is everything that's important about you. Let's pray.